Hi, coming, 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 coming. He's on the line. Just okay. put your headphones on and smile. They <laughs> can see you now. Okay. No. Did I just hear her tell you that you should smile? Yeah, she said to smile. <laughs> oh, this chair is so weird. Hello, how do you say your name? I'm Nahani Rouse, and this is Can We Talk from the Jewish Women's Archive. Nahani, good. Nice to meet you. Good morning. And that is Susan Stamberg from NPR. Do you, need a lo- do you need a level from me, or am I okay? Okay, good. Hi. Good morning. Let's go. In 1972, Susan Stamberg broke a sound barrier. She became the first woman in America to anchor a national nightly news broadcast. Susan co-hosted NPR's evening news program, All Things Considered, for 14 years, and her voice helped set the tone for public broadcasting. In this episode of Can We Talk?, we're thinking about women's voices. We'll talk with Susan Stamberg about her watershed career and how it set the stage for women on the radio. We'll also hear from Emily Bazelon, co-host of Slate's Political Gab Fest. She's part of the new podcasting world where women are now flourishing. But first, Judith Rosenbaum is here. She's got a message from the Jewish Women's Archive. I am here to tell everyone that we've got a podcast listener survey online, and we would love for everyone to take a few minutes to fill it out. You can find it at jwa.org slash podcast survey, and it'll really help us out a lot as we work on building the show. And we will enter you for a chance to win your very own JWA tote bag. (laughs) So very NPR of us. Indeed. While I'm here, I just want to say that I love this show topic, and actually this is something that I think about a lot. I really hate my voice. It's nasal, and I think I speak too fast. Oh, Judith, you're too hard on yourself. I know, and I'm a feminist, so there's really something weird about me being so self-deprecating about the way that I sound. Women's voices are already over-scrutinized, even despised. There's a long history of this. In Judaism, it dates back as far as the Talmud, where a woman's voice is considered equivalent to nakedness. And there are still some Orthodox Jews who prohibit women from singing with an earshot of men. That's pretty extreme. But it is true that voices are intimate and can penetrate. Voices are powerful. So naturally, women's voices get criticized. That kind of criticism is something Emily Bazelon has had to deal with. Hello and welcome to the Slate Political Gab Fest for Thursday, September 28th. 2017, the Everyone Listens to Women When They Speak Around Here edition. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad you got my joke. I'm Emily Bazelon. Emily's been co-hosting Slate's weekly political gab fest for over a decade. She's a brilliant political commentator, but people complain to her about her voice. Um, People have complained about vocal fry. They have complained that I sound too young that I use upspeak, and they've complained that I say like too much and um too much. So basically, like every irritating vocal tick one could be accused of, I have received feedback about. Oh, also that my voice is shrill and high and that I should try to retrain it. She co-hosts the podcast with two men, and as far as she knows... No one has ever complained about their voices. It doesn't seem like a coincidence that it's the man with the very deep voice on our show that gets the, the, the vocal love, and it's the woman who gets the complaints. This is a pattern. Other podcasts have addressed it, too. 
99% Invisible published an auto-reply to emails that criticize the voices of their female producers. It says that they filter these complaints to a folder marked zero priority. I do think that there is a certain um, disadvantage that women start with uh, by speaking in a higher register and that also if you have a voice that is typically high or girlish or you say like a lot, you risk being written off and taken less seriously. And yes, I think there is much more room for those voices than there used to be, and I support that. But I do still think that, you know, especially if you have an older audience, then you're going to have some people who are going to wish that you talked differently. At this point in her career, Emily has decided to plow ahead and mostly ignore the critiques. There's more space for diverse voices in podcasting than on the radio. Also, she knows that women who came into the broadcast business before her had to fit an even narrower idea of how women should sound. From National Public Radio in Washington, I'm Susan Stamberg with All Things Considered. Susan's voice is resonant, curious, and warm. She's got a way of being fully in whatever story she's telling. But Susan doesn't practice. Do you do any vocal warm-up exercises? Never. And I really probably should now as I get older. And also, I get kind of phlegmy, and it would be a good idea for me, too. But I, it, it never occurs to me since I've never done it all my life. And you've never been coached to do that? No. Uh-uh. Nobody ever told me nothing. <laughs> Amazing. Still, everyone learns how to speak somewhere. I'm the first woman who uh, anchored a nightly network news broadcast. And uh, as the first, it, it means that I had no role models. Or rather, no role models who were women. And so when I began uh, anchoring All Things Considered, I very self-consciously lowered my voice and said, Good evening, this is All Things Considered. Uh, because I, that's all I ever heard, and that's the only thing I could think to do. But uh, Bill Seamering, who is the creator of All Things Considered and the person who decided I would be the first woman, I would be the woman to do our program, uh, very quickly uh, said to me, just be yourself, just be yourself. And those were just the most enabling words for me. It meant that I didn't have to do this anymore, that I could speak as I speak, uh, and it would be okay. So uh, that uh, the work was to sort of pervert my natural speech. Once he said that I could speak as I do, uh, it, was, it was better. It was a great sense of freedom. Just be yourself. What great advice. But for a lot of women, it's not so simple. Like Emily told us, women get criticized for all sorts of things, sometimes for sounding like themselves, sometimes for trying to sound like someone else. People complain women's voices are too high, or they're too low, or there's too much vocal fry, or that they end their sentences like a question, which feels tentative. But women can also be perceived as too aggressive and shrill. Even compliments can feel gendered. I've been told that my voice is soft and lovely, even that it gets out of the way of the story. Yep, wouldn't want to take up too much room. And then there's the smiling thing. I used to be told that I should smile when I read my script, and I really don't like the way my voice sounds when I'm when I'm doing that. Oh, interesting. Well, you feel so silly. <laughs> yeah, and I think you sound kind of you it, you end up sounding sing-songy almost. Mm. That may be. Have you ever been told that you should do that? 
no, no one ever told me. I just tend to. I smile a lot, uh-huh. uh, and and when I do, uh, you hear it in my voice. I've, people have told me that that they hear it and they smile back, which I love. I think that's just terrific. Susan's smiling voice does sound authentic, much more than when I try it. I'll try it for you now. People who work in audio are often coached to smile, men as well as women. It's supposed to warm up your voice, but it doesn't work for everyone. See? I think it's more in terms of not sounding flat, you know, letting the music in your voice, if it exists, to come out so that you're getting some range of sounds that go just as I did just now, range of sounds. So you're going up and then you're coming down. Your voice sounds to me very warm, kind of glowing, but also your delivery can be very newsy. And I'm wondering if you had to work for that. Um, I didn't work really for much. Uh, I spoke as I as I have always spoken. I, I suppose I worked a little more on accent because I'm a New Yorker, uh, and so in the beginning, uh, on all things considered, I had uh, a problem saying all, and I don't even do it well now. It, it sounds very self conscious to me uh, because New Yorkers would say all, or my kind of New Yorker did, and we would say talk. Uh, so I had to sort of work that way, but it's more accent than voice. Why did you feel like you had to ditch the New York accent? Um, yeah, I guess I was self-conscious about it in those days in terms of role models and broadcasting. Um, for, well, there were no women doing news particularly, but uh, women who were on the air spoke, were, were mostly actresses. They began as actresses, and then they took on other other roles. Uh, and so they were very carefully and theatrically trained. Like Betty White in this Kodak film commercial from 1964. With Kodakolor film, you can take color snapshots as easily as black and white. Just aim and snap, and you get beautiful, sparkling color prints. And, and I suppose that got into my DNA as well, that sense that um, I needed to speak a kind of national accentless language rather than to sound regional. I, I'm sorry for that now because I love that sound of local accents. I love a Southern accent or a Texas accent. I love hearing them or a real New York accent or Bronx accent. But uh, I seem to have lost it because of of that sense when I was young that it wasn't anything I heard except on the streets. So it wasn't the right accent for broadcasting. Did you grow up with people who had that New York Jewish accent? Yes, sure. I'm not so sure it's Jewish. How interesting you say it is. Uh, In my early days on All Things Considered, uh, people would write in, the ones who weren't happy listening to me, and say, uh, she's so New York. And our president uh, at the time, Frank Mankiewicz, the president of NPR, said to me, that's always coded for Jewish. Hmm. Now, you, of course, uh, given where you're working and for whom you're making this recording, would have a different uh, and a more prideful sense about it. But he, his was sort of watch out because that's really anti-Semitic. Uh, and, and, Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And his feeling was 
you should try to tone that part down? No, no. There were no shoulds behind him. Uh No, no, no. Not a bit of it. It was just merely an observation. But it it intrigued me. But at at, at that point, I'd pretty well lost most of my New York accent. It still creeps up from time to time. In what what cases? When I'm very tired. Yeah, rarely on the air. Although sometimes in the course of uh, of an interview, and this is interesting to me too, an interview when I'm very relaxed and really having a wonderful time, It'll pop up. <laughs> it's like the, the braces are off, you know? Does it depend on who you're talking to? Yeah, sure, uh, because accents are catching. And so when I'm talking to a real New Yorker, I can catch that and start, start speaking that way myself. Susan now seems to relish her ability to slip in and out of her New York accent. But, she told me, she thinks it would have hindered her career. I knew I was setting a certain standard, you know, and and carrying the flame. So uh, I had to work harder and also wanted to be good so that other women could, could follow me and could step in as well. So that kind of anxiety was certainly there. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was present in your voice? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I... I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure it affected my voice. Uh-huh. I don't hear myself sounding nervous on old tapes. Maybe this is a good time to play that old uh, okay. piece of tape. Okay, you got something, eh? <laughs> From National Public Radio in Washington, I'm Susan Stamberg with All Things Considered. <laughs> You could fly the friendly skies of United, Allegheny, and National today, but the friendship got strained at airlines like Eastern. We'll examine the impact of today's pilot walkout and explore legal and international attitudes on sanctioning hijackers. Oh, gosh. (laughs) What's the year of that, do you know? That is June 19, 1972. That was Susan's first day anchoring All Things Considered about six weeks after it premiered. What I hear is, well, my voice is younger, but it's not very different. But what I hear there, and you may have too, is me working on my accent. Mm. I was Stamberg. I now say Stamberg. You know, I was being really careful with that A to sort of flatten out rather than to to sound New York-y. That I heard, and much more formal. I wasn't nearly as easy Mm. uh, at a microphone, and so I was more careful I think, uh, and more self-conscious about the way I was speaking than I certainly am now. Besides occasionally being told she sounded so New York, I asked Susan if there were other critiques of her voice. She said there were, but they were kept from her. In fact, program director Bill Seemering waited 11 years to tell her. Which to me was such a sign of his uh, his leadership and his uh, compassion and skills. He told me that when I first began anchoring All Things Considered, there was some resistance by uh, uh, managers of our handful of member stations, a handful of managers at our handful of stations who said, a woman's voice is not authoritative, Um, she uh, doesn't speak with conviction, and our listeners won't believe her when she's delivering the news. Now, to some extent, there's some validity to that, because in those days we were broadcasting over 10 KC lines, just very bad telephone lines, which tend to uh, bump up the the upper part of the voice, the soprano part of the voice, and uh, 
kind of depress the bass, the lower. And so I may have sounded uh, a little shriller than uh, my real-life voice is. But otherwise, it was just, you know, un- uninformed ears, ears that were so unused to this that uh, it was too unusual, and they didn't like it. But that didn't matter, because for decades, Susan Stamberg brought the news to the nation. President Nixon's resignation, the end of the Vietnam War, the Iran-Contra scandal— and she did it with authority. She moderated the first live call-in show with a sitting president, in which citizens from around the country asked questions. She also hosted the first live broadcast of a debate on the Senate floor. She became a news icon and an inspiration to many, including me. It was her voice that brought news of the world into my childhood home. I was curious to know what Bill Seemering was thinking when he hired her. So I called him up. Um, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but it was history making. What was going through your head when you decided you wanted her to be the host? It was uh, her voice and who she is. It was exactly the sound I wanted to represent NPR. And I, I still say that I believe she gave the voice to NPR. Susan's voice is still such a fixture at NPR. You even hear it in the elevators at NPR headquarters. Going up, fourth floor, newsroom, going down. Could you describe what you were looking for? She has this insatiable curiosity that comes through. She's authentic. She's the same on mic as off. Her, her voice has an excellent range in terms of um, going from hard news, if you will, to fun features. And did the fact that she was a woman and would be the first woman in a national broadcast play into your decision? No. I, I, I never gave that a second thought. Did you think at the time, though, that it would be a big deal? I didn't. I, I really didn't anticipate Uh, how big a deal it was. And I got some pushback, of course, from some stations. Some station managers saying, well, you know, Bill, women's voices on FM, I mean, the high frequencies, you should see the meter when the women come on. And I'd hear others say, well, women don't have the authority to do the hard news. They can do the soft features, but it's not, it's not uh, what you hear for hard news. They don't have that authority. Mm-hmm. How, do, how did you respond? Well, I ignored it. That's just bunkum. It's nonsense. Bill tells me those station managers were sexist. They didn't recognize the importance of having a woman anchor the news. Well, it's, it's not just the voice. It's the perspective that a woman brings to a story. And it just makes a richer tapestry of sound. To say Bill Seemering was instrumental at NPR isn't giving him enough credit, even though he was only there for a few years. He wrote the organization's mission statement, which called for many voices and many dialects. Bill says the idea was for America to hear itself. I wanted to reflect the diversity of America and, um, and, uh, and the world, you know. I didn't want the, just the white male voice of authority coming from New York. As the first woman, Susan broke one major barrier. But it would be another 30 years before an African-American woman anchored All Things Considered. Fourth floor. Newsroom. Going down. 
Do you think that given your profession, you listen to people's voices differently? Uh, Yeah, I guess I do. I always notice a great voice, and I always say, oh, you really ought to be on the radio, when it's a really big, full, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous voice. That's the kind of voice that I like. I asked Susan to describe a good voice. A good one uh, is warm, and it's got a little fizz to it, and you can hear a smile in it from time to time, or or a narrowing uh, when, when the speaker is, is being very, very serious. A bad voice is not maybe so much the voice itself, although they, uh, some of the, the young women have extremely high voices that I find uh, very, very shrill. Uh, but it's more use of voice and use of intonation, ending sentences with a question and saying the sky is blue and that sort of thing. Uh, d- drives me nuts. Oh, I'm being so hard on young women talking to you, but uh, uh, sometimes those shrill young women's voice or or too tentative, too soft, too too uh, holding back and and uneasy, not confident. Uh, I will find annoying. This is hard on young women. We learn a lot of our diction and inflection subconsciously. We learn how to get attention and how to deflect attention. Some of us learn there's a consequence for sounding too smart. Broadcasting uh, does demand a different kind of communication, I think. It's not so much about voice, but it's about reaching out and projection and, and, uh, and, and grabbing the ear of your listener. Susan Stamberg's direct style did grab listeners by the ears. She paved the way for women who came after her. Women's voices, in Bill Seemering's words, created a richer tapestry of sound. Today, podcasting is rapidly weaving new threads into that tapestry. Slate's Emily Bazelon describes the podcasting world as a cacophony. But there's one familiar refrain. Some listeners still complain about certain types of voices. Women who are on radio or podcasting tend to receive much more of this type of criticism. Even though men have vocal tics as well. That's why Emily says she feels torn between wanting to incorporate feedback and wanting to push back against it. These can be points well taken, and it's important to be able to hear feedback about one's self and take it to heart and see whether you agree with it or not or whether there's something worth acting on. You have to decide how much to adjust, how much you feel like those critiques are legitimate, and how much you just feel like, well, you know what? The smart thoughts I have in my head are going to come out of my mouth, how they're going to come out, and you'll just have to deal. And if you don't have to listen, turn off the show. Emily's doing the same thing Bill Seemering did. When station managers complained about Susan's voice, he ignored them. The audience would catch up, he thought. And they did. You've been listening to Can We Talk, the podcast of the Jewish Women's Archive. Our team includes Judith Rosenbaum and Rachel King. Ibi Caputo edits our scripts. Hey, Nahani. Hey, Ibi. Hey, what do you think of my voice? You have a great voice. Thanks. <laughs> our theme music is by Girls in Trouble. Special thanks to Ilana Weinstein, to the NPR Audio Archive, and to Amy Eisner and Danny Reich for the quiet recording space. We're launching a listener survey this month. Find it at jwa.org slash podcast survey. We hope you'll take five or ten minutes to fill it out and you just might win a tote bag from the Jewish Women's Archive. If you enjoy the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. 
You'll find the link to this episode and all the others at jwa.org slash canwetalk. You can also find us anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Nahani Rouse.